0: Or send an email to openline at EWTN.com.
1: Well, a happy Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Milady is in the house. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986 if you're outside the United States and Canada. That number is one 205 271-2985, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1205-271-2985. You can always send us an email line at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky. And Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, the aforementioned Father Brian Mullady, how are you?
2: Just peachy, thank you, Jeff. Taking
1: a little brief uh, respite from your globe-trotting ways. Yeah, so, Well, it's about time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very good. So speaking of good, um, sheep are not smart, right? And uh, left to their own devices, they would be wolf food more often than not. Mm -hmm. Um, So they need a little help, and you're going to kind of talk about that analogy today, uh, talking about the Good Shepherd.
2: Yeah, well, we recently had Good Shepherd Sunday, and I wanted to address partially why it happens during Easter. Um, First of all, many years ago, I have a friend at Connecticut, Some of you may know her, she's the nun who kissed Elvis, Mother Dolores' heart. She was an actress before she entered, and she was in Elvis' first two movies. And then she entered the cloister. And I went over to visit her, and they have a lot of uh, rural things there because they're Benedictines. And among other things, they have sheep. So the shepherd, who was a layman, says, would you like to meet my sheep? Oh, sure, that'd be fine. So we went over there, and being a city boy, I knew almost nothing about sheep, especially from practical experience. And the shepherd went, and as soon as he did that, the ears of the sheep literally stood up, prickled up, and they rushed over to where the shepherd was because they recognized the shepherd's voice as someone who cared for them and directed them. Now, of course, had I done that, the sheep wouldn't have moved in uh, uh, at all. In fact, I remember there was a archbishop who said they wanted to make a vocation picture for his diocese, so they wanted him to dress up as a in all of his archbishop regalia with the mitre and crozier and vestments, and go stand next to a flock of sheep. Well, he said those sheep every time I walked next to them, they ran away. <laughs> An hour we walked around that pasture. We could never get them to stand still. I don't know if this says something about my past or leadership or not. Now, it's interesting that one of the big images the Lord uses for himself is that of a shepherd, and not just a regular shepherd, not a shepherd who's in it for pay, but a shepherd who actually cares about the sheep, a good shepherd. And a lot of what the shepherd does for the sheep is encapsulized, of course, in Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms in, at least, Christianity. We use it a great deal. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, because the shepherd helps the sheep to find pasture, and therefore the pasture we are to find is a spiritual pasture. In the summer, when the weather turns better, the shepherd often leads the sheep, to find the really good grass, which is up usually in mountains, and it's a long and perilous journey. And so the shepherd has to ward off possible predators. He also has to know the right way to go. You prepare, you know you uh, shall not want. You make me lie down in green pastures. You leave me beside still waters, because rushing waters are very bad for sheep. If they fall in and they have it all wool, it could weigh them down and they can drown. And then he leads them to this quiet up on the mountains. You prepare a banquet for me in the sight of my foes. Well, in the mountains, of course, you have the little the valleys with all the green grass, but then you have the predators up in the hills who are always ready to snatch the sheep. And so this banquet that of course the Good Shepherd prepares for us would be primarily the Holy Eucharist. And if we follow our Lord's example and our Lord's leading us, then we ourselves will be enabled to be like our Lord. And in the same psalm, it talks about your rod and your staff, they give me comfort. Well, the rod basically symbolizes the uh, attempt by the shepherd to ward off evil, so things like the sacrament of penance would be part of the rod. In fact, even in the Near East today, they have contests among the shepherds in throwing the rod to try to hit the predators in order to get them to move away. And then, of course, as you know, the shepherd's staff is very unusual because it has the crook on the end of it. And the reason is because should the sheep fall into a ravine or even into a river, the shepherd can put the cook around the body of the sheep and lift the sheep out to a safer place. So the staff itself would symbolize sound doctrine. So you have sound teaching and you have sound morals that lead us to the high green pastures of heaven. And in the Near East, which is very unusual compared to the rest of the world, the shepherds lead the sheep. They don't follow them. And so Christ now has gone to heaven and has risen and ascended flesh, and he leads us up there, first of all, by our spiritual conversion. But secondly, in supporting the spiritual conversion, with the banquet of the Holy Eucharist, which is his risen body and blood, which he prepares for us here on earth to get us there. And so, when we're following the shepherd, surely goodness and kindness shall follow me all the days of my life. In the Lord's own house I shall dwell, which in Christian terms means in heaven, first in my soul, and then after I die in the resurrection in my body, forever and ever. Amen. So we're called upon to look To the risen and ascended Lord as the shepherd who leads us through the trials of this life the dangers of this life and supports us with this spiritual food so that we can actually experience transformation in Christ on earth and that that transformation might be complete when we see God in the face and not only in our souls but experience that in our resurrected bodies.
1: You know Sheep just naturally, when they're kind of get into the groove, will follow the voice of their shepherd. Right. Uh, they talk about sheep being rebellious and not smart, but really when you consider the analogy of the shepherd in the human dimension, you know, we're probably more stubborn than the sheep are sometime, huh?
2: <laughs> yes, we are. Well, only human beings can devise an infinite way to, infinite ways to be stubborn. The sheep follow their instinct. First of all, they naturally follow in line the person ahead of them. But secondly, if they experience emotionally, because sheep have emotions, you know, and they have sensitive knowledge, if they experience that this person cares for them, then they'll follow them anywhere. And by the same token, uh, sheep uh, don't need, uh, they have, have developed instinct. So that if the lamb doesn't have to be taught a wolf's harmful to it, if the lamb sees the wolf it runs away because there's something uh, the lamb experiences about the wolf, that, um, not because he's taught again, but because of instinct which he understands to be harmful to his existence. We don't have that. We have to be taught that.
1: We're just getting started on a Thursday edition of EWTN's open line. Three lines open for you and all kinds of time for your phone calls. The number to be part of the program is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and if you are outside of North America, we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. brand new book from EWTN Publishing this month, Living Calm, Mastering Anger and Frustration by our good friend, Dr. Ray Garendi. This is the book you need to master your anger so your anger won't master you. Dr. Ray unpacks the many topics of anger and types of people who suffer most from anger. You'll learn why feelings aren't neutral and and whether anger is a product of nature or nurture. You'll also learn the difference between righteous and unrighteous anger and why those closest to us can anger us the most. That's Living Calm, Mastering Anger and Frustration by Dr. Ray Garendi, available at EWTNRC.com, by Catholic Shop, EWTNRC.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3986. First up is Kylie, a first-time caller. Well, check that. Uh, well, get, okay, we will go to Kylie. Kylie's up first uh, in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. a First-time caller, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Kylie, you are on with Father Brian.
3: Hi, Father Brian. Um, Hi. My question, my question is: If somebody is not Catholic and they decided that they wanted to confess their sins, could they go to a Catholic church and go to confession, basically? Like, without anyone knowing, just going and repenting.
2: All right, yes, they could, but they couldn't get absolution. In order to be absolved, you have
1: to be Catholic, yes. Uh Does that make sense, Kylie?
3: Definitely. Yep, thank you. All right,
1: thank you. We appreciate the phone call. You know, I heard an interesting thing today that's probably well-known to you, but it was not well-known to me. Um, the, the great um, priest in the Archdiocese of Detroit, Father Solanus Casey, uh, who I think is a blessed at this point, um, was a priest but was not given full faculty, so he could not hear confessions. I had never heard that.
2: Well, I didn't know that was true. him. Of course, you don't get faculties just because you're ordained, except in danger of death.
1: I think they called it a, a simple...
2: Uh, a simplex priest. Simplex yeah. priest. Yes. I, we were ordained simplex priests when I was ordained in the West Coast because of we were missionaries, so we uh, couldn't hear confessions either for a year until we took a faculties exam, finished our theology, and then got the letter from the bishop bestowing faculties on us. Of course, as I say, in danger of death, those rules don't count. Mm-hmm. So even a priest who's fallen away from the church, who's gotten married in danger of death, if a person's dying, he can give absolution.
1: So the indelible mark remains, huh? The indelible mark remains, so oh sure. Huh? Yep. Yeah. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. George is in the great state of New Hampshire listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. George, you're on with Father Brian Mullady.
4: Thank you, thank you, Father, for taking my
2: call. Um, My question is this. We've got a new priest, and at the end of the universal prayer, he'll say a Hail Mary and another prayer to Mary. And I always thought that you weren't, you know, I don't know if that's normal or acceptable. I didn't think you could have prayers to anybody but the Lord during the Mass, uh, I don't know where you got that impression. Um, and for one thing, the Hail Mary is, in a way, a prayer to the Lord um, because it's obvious that Mary has Christ. Jesus is mentioned. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. And if, if we had a question about this even last week or the week before. Uh, you're not supposed to add any prayers except, of course, the one exception would be the universal prayer. I believe we call it the prayer of the faithful, because you can put things in there, intentions in there, and things like that. And of course, after Mass, we say the Hail Holy Queen. Uh, we used to anyway. Now we say the St. Michael prayer only, but we used to also say the Hail Holy Queen after Mass. So there's nothing wrong with um, actually the intercession of Mary, because we do that in the Canon you know through the in union with Mary the mother of god etc so uh, and that's all the
1: hail mary is doing does that help you george
4: yes it does thank you
0: very much
1: thank you we appreciate the phone call that frees up a line for you at 833 288 EWTN we'd love to get a phone call from you today at 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. John sent an email, and I'm I'm not sure. Well, you can I'll let you unpack the premise of his question. He says, "How can we explain using moral theology how a baby's life is more important than the mother's life?"
2: Well, first of all, they're both equally important. If you're referring to the fact that. Uh, if the mother's going to die if she has a child. Uh, we can't, of course, kill the mother. We're not saying her life isn't just as important as the child. It's just the other way around. They're both reasoning creatures. We have to try to save the life of both. So uh, we can't use moral theology prove that because it's false. The life of one is not more important than the other, and that's one of the reasons why we refuse to support abortion. Uh, it's utilitarian um, values that basically want to gauge the importance of someone's life, one versus the other, uh, except in the case of capital murder, uh, which isn't, again, to say the murderer doesn't have a right to life in all other contexts except the murderer. Uh, we have no right to say that one person's more important than another, but we have to do all we can for both. And that means we can't just kill one in order to save the other.
1: Um, well, we had a, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Father.
2: Well, I, that sounds to me like what he's uh, interested yeah, in I knowing.
1: Right. But, yeah. mm-hmm. um, we, ha- we received a call from Jeff, who may be calling in again. I think he's in a bad cell area. But he has a son who is forever getting in trouble with the law. And he was wondering if you had any advice on how to get him to change his ways.
2: Well, if he's he's, uh, reached 18, (laughs) you know, he's a big boy. I mean, you can support him uh, with your prayers. You can support him with your advice. But he's the one that actually has to make the choice of whether he's going to um, repent or not and change his ways. You can't do it for him. And I realize a lot of people from love, they want to save their loved ones, but sometimes this love is misplaced. Um, Father Emmerich in his 12 Step Talks talks about a woman who told him, Oh, Father, Father, he got a job. He got a job, and but he wrecked the car, so... I have to pay for the car, and I have to pay for this, I have to pay for that. How old is this person anyway? 30 years old. <laughs> he said, what should I do? I made novenas. And, he said, and Emmerich says, try throwing him out of the house.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and she says, but, but, but I, I love him. She says, yes, exactly. He has to have the um, love of someone who's disinterested enough to try to allow him to become an adult. And you can't always be saving him or taking responsibility for him. He has to learn to take responsibility for himself.
1: You know, we talked about this new book from Dr. Ray Garendi, and he is uh, famous for saying on many occasions that one of the troubles with our society today is that parents do not have the intestinal fortitude to discipline their children. And that's why you've got so many 30- and 40-year-olds living at home with mom and dad.
2: Well, not only that, but uh, I remember I used to say mass for a group of sisters that taught preschoolers, and they were from Italy and, and India and Connecticut. And their, their preschool is very popular, so much so the people actually sign their children up for it in the womb. So I asked the sister uh, how they were doing, and she says, Oh, Father. Every year it's more difficult. She says, parents don't know how to be parents. They think they're one of the children. They want to be buddies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they just, they just don't know how to be in charge of them. And not only that, but they're afraid of their own children.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Next stop for us is the Republic of Texas. Andy is in Texas listening to Armor of God Radio. Andy, you're on with Father Brian. Why well, thank you, Father Brian. Uh, I
3: had a situation where a friend of mine had uh, was saying that it wasn't fair that a priest was uh, uh, was sanctioned by the uh, bishop because uh, he said in during his homily that uh, Democrats cannot be Catholics, uh, and uh, I was wondering if uh, that is uh, you know part of the
2: canon law, and where in the canon law could I find it if you know. You mean the Democrats can't be Catholics?
1: Well, I think he means uh, stating any allegiance politically during a homily. Oh, you mean the the priest, whether he can be
2: removed right. for that. I see. Um, no, I don't think so. However, uh, it's not prudent for priests to talk about any particular party. Uh, it's prudent to talk about political principles. To say, for example, that this is not a Catholic principle, and you can't hold this and be a Catholic, and whatever party a person is in, if they hold this, they're not holding it according to what the church teaches. But you can't get too specific, is the thing, because there's no political party, as I'm sure you're aware, that is free from sin (laughs) and free from error. And just because you're in one party doesn't make that party the good party and the other party the wicked party. Now, of course, there are parties that have mostly principles that are morally repugnant. And so to be a member of that party, you really have to, uh, what would I say, try to oppose what their platform is that you know is evil in order to change it. One of my problems with some of the Catholic politicians is that it's one thing to say, well, this is the law of the land, so I have to support it, or this is what my party preaches. But then they don't say, but I totally disagree with it, and, and this is more important, I'm going to work to change this in the platform. They refuse to do that. Well, that's, you know, you can say all you want, you per. To say you personally disagree with this but publicly support it, that's hypocrisy. It's not real.
1: 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, 271 2985 And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. 271 2985 It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady.
0: This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Father Chad writes in. He says, can you explain the apostolic letter Dominus Jesus, written by Cardinal Ratzinger and signed by Pope John Paul II, St. Pope John Paul II, about the relationship between the Old and Roman Catholic Churches, and what is the relationship?
2: Oh, I'm not familiar with that part of the letter. All Um, right, we'll talk about the parts that you're
1: familiar with then.
2: Well, the letter was written in the year 2000 to celebrate the second millennium of the birth of Christ. And in it, they emphasize very, very much that um, Jesus Christ is the unique mediator between God and man. At least that's the one I'm familiar with. I think it's called Dominic Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that has to do with those relationships with the old churches. I don't know. But I think that might be another document. But anyway, um, unfortunately, it caused great outrage on the part of a whole bunch of Catholic theologians who maintained that, well, what about Muhammad and Moses and you know, Buddha, aren't they mediators? No, <laughs> I'm sorry. And I think
1: that this may very well be what he's talking about when he says the old churches. He may be talking about Islam and things like that.
2: No, 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 uh uh-uh, uh, no way. You remember, even Muhammad's wife told him that there were satanic verses in the Quran. <laughs> I mean, no, 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 that's it's because they don't understand what it means to be a mediator. Um, and they also don't understand that Jesus wasn't just a good moral teacher. The objections were very Masonic in their emphasis, because the Masons accept all religions, and all the leaders of all religions are equally true, as being kind of the mediation of truth, because really, we are God. There is no transcendent God. And Cardinal Ratzinger gave another talk In 1989, when he was head of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, you can find it online, it's called Difficulties Confronting the Faith in Europe Today. And he said there were three areas where our church was in big trouble theologically. And the first one was what he called in his more academic terminology, the metaphysics of creation. But by that he meant that there are lots of teachers of Catholic doctrine at least in Europe and all universities and colleges and seminaries who don't think there's a transcendent God. So it's more a projection of our own needs than a transcendent God, which is very Kantian. Um, Immanuel Kant, who wrote in the late 18th century, uh, was highly influential in Protestant theology and then around the time of modernism, he sort of entered into Catholic theology. And then in Vatican II, his ideas were very much taken up by a certain faction, not the bishops necessarily, but some of these so-called expert theologians, the Pariti. And he's never succeeded in being overcome. Mm-hmm. And he basically taught that truth was not the correspondence of the mind to the thing, It was the correspondence of the thing to my needs, that my needs and my emotions created the truth. So uh, as one Protestant thinker who was a follower of Kant stated in the 19th century in Germany, uh, religion without God is just as good as a religion with God. And religion is the foe of creeds and doctrines because all you're doing is trying to produce feelings of philanthropy uh, independence on the universe—that's it. There's no content to it. Well, of course, when it comes to Christ, oh dear, that's really hard. Yeah. It isn't our doctrine of Christ.
1: Back to the phones we go. Debbie is in Ontario, Canada today, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Debbie, thanks for holding. you on with Father Brian.
5: Hi, Father Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Um, I was speaking with my priest the other evening, because I have a friend who has um, a granddaughter who's told her that, asked her if she um, would consider attending um, a same-sex celebration, if you will, Uh, and she, she asked me about it, so I said to her, I said, I don't think we can in good conscience as a Catholic, because it sort of says that we condone that behavior, and, um, and she asked me if it was a sin, and I, and I said, well, I don't know for sure. I think it might be. And I asked uh, my priest, and then he said to me that it, it wouldn't be, it would be okay to attend the ceremony. Um, we're supporting to people that we love or something like this. So I just, I need some clarification on it because I, it just doesn't feel right to me.
2: Well, I would personally tend to agree with you. Because being there is more than just supporting the two people. It's actually saying you accept what they're doing. And especially, uh, I think, that um, now there's been a middle ground suggested by some people. Others who were more rigorous in their interpretation of morals don't think this is a good idea. But the middle solution has been, if they have a reception, You could attend the reception to support them as people, but not the actual ceremony.
1: Does that help, Debbie?
5: That helps. Amazing. Thank you. It just clarifies what I felt in my heart anyway. Thank you so much.
1: Surely. Thanks, Debbie. 833-288-EWTN. A couple of lines open for you and all kinds of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Gary writes in. He says, according to the SUMA the fires of purgatory are equal to the fires of hell, and that the pain soul's experience is the same in both places. Is this still the view of priests and theologians today?
2: Well, I have to tell you, I'm not familiar with the Summa's teaching on the fires of purgatory. Uh, To me, it's a minor point. St. Thomas maintained, as I recall, that they can be there or they can't be there, but what they emphasize is the um, separation of the soul from God, and also perhaps in hell, it would be the, the physical suffering of the risen body. Now, uh, whatever is true of the fires, they're not equal punishments, because the p- souls in purgatory are worthy of heaven. It's they themselves do pass a purgation who have to accept the fact that they want to be completely pure when they see God. So if there's any dross left over from this life that's what needs to be purged. But they're worthy of heaven and they have hope and they have charity. The souls in hell have none of those things. And so whatever the fire would be if it were the same, it, it's not the punishments aren't the same and also um, one is temporary and it's more and it's just passive in the sense that we have things that are left over in our lives that we would be ashamed to bring before the Lord with us and we want to be completely beautiful when we come before the
1: Lord. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Next up is Ann in the great state of Florida, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Anne, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Hello, thank you for taking my
3: call. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question in the Rosary. It says, As it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be, world without end. Uh, it's a two-part question. Can you please just explain to me briefly what that means? That is, it God was saying yesterday, today, and tomorrow?
2: Uh, yes, except it's an English translation of a Latinism. And oddly enough, it's a Latinism that's based on a Hebrewism. Uh, in Hebrew... There is no superlative degree in the language. So the way you express the superlative degree is by using what's called the genitive case, which is of. So in Hebrew, you wouldn't be able to say the greatest king. You'd have to say king of kings. Now, you can't say the greatest lord. You say lord of lords. You don't say eternity. You say age of ages. Ages. In other words, the greatest uh, length of time. And in uh, the uh, doxology concerning the Trinity, glory to the Trinity, you may remember if you ever attend the Latin Mass that we say secola secolorum, which basically means world of worlds or ages of ages, and so that's, again, a translation almost of Hebrewism, and it means everything the all time period so it's saying we have to give glory to the trinity for all time
1: and then did you have another part of your question ann
3: yes please so with that being said and i'm a fan of the latin mass um if god is the same yesterday today and tomorrow and i believe it says this um, and we believe yes that's this, in
2: another part the, of scripture yes
3: okay maybe in another part of scripture Okay, so we're in—in in my eyes, we're the new Jews, and we're the closest to the Jewish religion, as far as my research goes, um, as Christians. Um, and I know there's also the Orthodoxy, but if that's true, then, then why is there Vatican One and Vatican Two? I mean, why isn't the Church the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? This I just really do not understand.
2: All right. Well, first of all, it's Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. <laughs> not the church. Secondly, Christ has revealed himself to the church, and we believe in Catholicism, and I think the Orthodox believe this too, that of course the fullness of revelation is given to Jesus Christ. There'll be no fuller revelation, formal revelation, that because Christ is God made man, he sends the fullness of revelation to dwell in the apostles when did it come to dwell in them? When they received the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And then all the councils and all the theological reflections and all the theological ink that's been spilled for the last 2,000 years is an attempt to discover and express what's implicit in the faith of the Twelve Apostles. And this was made plain in a... It's a story now. It's not real. It's not historical. But it was a history that was developed to demonstrate this, that when the Holy Spirit came upon the Twelve Apostles, each one stood up and pronounced one of the Twelve Articles of the Apostles' Creed. And that's in the ancient fathers. So the doctrine, as far as the object, object it's about, is the same. But our understanding becomes more explicit with time.
1: Thanks, Anne. We appreciate the phone call today. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Jean in South Bend, Indiana, listening on Redeemer Radio. Jean, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Brian.
4: Uh, well, thank you for being there. Um, I am wondering, uh, we have a son who's uh, been ordained a priest, and um, I when, when he was ordained... He received a a rosary that was blessed by the Pope um, at that time. And I am wondering if there's any blessings, uh, extra blessings, that go along with saying that rosary for him um, or anybody else. Uh, I guess that's my question.
2: Uh, Okay. Unfortunately, I don't know the answer specifically, but I would imagine there are some special indulgences attached like a plenary indulgence each time it's said or something to uh, rosaries blessed by the Pope. I know in the case of a Dominican, we're not the Pope, it's true, but uh, if your rosaries blessed by a Dominican, you're automatically a member of the rosary confraternity, you have no choice. <laughs> and uh, being such the case, if you say the rosary, that particular rosary, you receive a plenary indulgence every time you say it. So I would imagine the same would be true of a papal rosary blessed by the Pope.
1: Thanks, Gene. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Be sure to check out Catholic Answers Live Best of Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Persuasive Pro-Life with Trent Horn. And the second hour is Ask a Priest with Father Matthew Spencer. That's the best of Catholic Answers Live, Sunday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Elizabeth writes in and she says, My husband and I are converts. His family is Baptist. How do I answer the claim that they make that theology and intellectualism and hierarchy doesn't matter and that it's all about the personal relationship with Christ?
2: Oh, yeah, well, this is an old objection from the, the Baptists. Um, part of it comes from their ideas about sacraments and things like that. Uh, the basic Protestant problem... Now, I know Baptists aren't the same as Episcopalians and things like that, but their basic problem was Luther's problem with the ability of physical things, rituals, authoritative statements, persons, to communicate grace. And that's why he made Scripture a matter of personal interpretation. Uh, This problem is... um, endemic in their theology. And the problem is, of course, that if you don't have some physical mediation, and everybody's doing things personally, how do you have any kind of unity of doctrine of any kind? Uh, About 25 years after the uh, English church, you know, Henry VIII broke away over Anne Boleyn, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who basically was the one who made the church Protestant in England, wanted to call a pan-theology council of the Protestants to give a unified statement of doctrine against the Council of Trent. And he couldn't even get the Reformers to agree on a place to hold it.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and he wanted it in England. They didn't want to go to England. Some wanted it in Germany. Some wanted it in France. They couldn't agree on a place to because they have no authority. Everybody's his own authority, and then of course, as soon as you disagree with somebody, you break away and form your own church. So um, the way you answer this is to say that if you don't need a physical mediator between man and God now to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, why do we need Jesus's body? dying on the cross. Why do we need any physical mediation? It's all all because of the physical mediation of Christ the High Priest that we need all those other mediators. So if you don't need a physical mediator, you don't need the crucifix. You certainly don't need Christ's death or his resurrection or his nativity or any of those things. In fact, as you know, the extreme uh, Baptists, who probably the Puritans, They tried to outlaw Christmas in England because they thought it was a pagan celebration.
1: Um, Pat is in St. Louis County, Missouri, listening today on the EWTN app. Pat, you're on with Father Brian.
4: Thank you. Father Brian, I wanted to know, is there a hierarchy uh, that we should respect in reference to wearing medals?
2: Uh, I'm not aware of one myself. Um, some medals are more indulgent than others, as you know. Uh, the miraculous medal is one that's quite indulgent. Um,
1: but I, I'm not aware of one, no. Was there anything in particular you were curious about, Pat? Yes.
4: Yes, that is what I was cu- curious about. Like, uh, if there, you wore the miraculous medal and then a medal behind it with Mary um, and, like, St. Anthony, could you wear the both of them?
2: Well, I wear a cruciform uh, because it's much easier than all those medals. So the cruciform medal has St. Christopher, and the scapular medal for Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and the miraculous medal, and I forget who's the fourth one, but it's all in a little a little cross. See, um, I also wear the angelic warfare medal which is a special one of the Dominican Order. But can you see the little cross here? Let's see if I can hold it up there. You see the little cross, see? That has four different devotions on it. And I don't see any problem with that, no. Does that put your heart at rest, Pat?
4: That puts my heart at rest, yes, it sure does. And and I thank you. Is it possible to sneak in another question or no?
1: Go right ahead.
4: Okay. All right, Father, so, like, um... Say I lift my children up, which I have. I've given them to the Blessed Mom for her to take care of. Okay. And then say I lift them up to to Jesus, too. Now, am, I can't believe I'm asking this question. I can't believe I I don't know this. But anyway, so that's okay. I guess I feel like if you're praying to uh, the Blessed Mom, or I don't know. I don't Can know Pat what
1: ask for too much intercession, Father Brian?
2: No, and it's all in the family. Come on, you know, Jesus and Mary aren't confused and they're not rivals. You know, I mean, wherever you find the mother, you always find the son and the son the mother. So, no, uh, you're not doing anything wrong with that.
1: God bless you, Pat. We appreciate that phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Um, Pete writes in: In one of the passion narratives, there is an unnamed man who tries to escape. What is the significance of this man?
2: Um, now let's see. It's, now it's very hard for me to remember this, uh, so I could be wrong about this. But isn't that in the Gospel according to Saint Mark?
1: Well, it, it's it's beyond my recollection altogether. So I'm. staying And, and out. isn't it
2: Mark himself or something? I seem to have a vague recollection of that, so I'd have to read the passage and do some research on it. But um, uh, as of the meaning, uh, uh, it's just remember the evangelist is trying to express what he either believes happened or experienced himself. And if it's the gospel according to St. Mark, if it is, it would be Peter's recollection of what happened.
1: 833 ewtn Amy is in Idaho, and she asks, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 31, Jesus uses the word before in reference to tax collectors and harlots getting to the kingdom of God before the Pharisees. By using the word before, do you think Jesus was alluding to purgatory?
2: No. I think what he was trying to say was that um, their sins aren't as great as the pharisaical sins, because they have more excuse for what they're doing. Pharisees, the pharisaical sin is the worst sin, because it's purely a sin of pride. And tax collectors and sinners, uh, prostitutes would have lesser sins, None, they can still be mortal. Remember, there's a gradation of mortal sins. But uh, they have some excuse. Uh, Dante, as you know, in, the, in, the, in Hell, uh, he puts the lustful in the top cornice because at least they loved someone. His whole basis for the hierarchy is whether there was any love left in the person. The people he puts in the pit of Hell, there's no fire. The fire is all up on the cornices above, but there's no fire in the pit of Hell. Because these are people who are the betrayers and they not only didn't love those who loved them, but they betrayed them. And so they're encased in ice and they devour each other, which is a really sobering punishment. But uh, no, I don't think that before there refers to purgatory. I think it refers to um, the fact that it's easier in a way to convert the tax collectors and the prostitutes than it would be to convert an obstinate Pharisee who didn't believe in Him,
1: and very quickly. And far, the le- whoops, I'm am sorry. Go ahead, Father.
2: No, no, The Pharisees have all the advantages. They're doctors of the law. They're intelligent. They're wealthy. They're leaders, and, and if they're if they're bad, oh dear, it's very hard to convert them.
1: And quickly, Richard wants to know, in uh, Luke's Gospel, Jesus tells the women to weep more for themselves and their children than him, and how the barren will be blessed, and they will call the mountains down upon themselves. He says he's not quite sure he's understanding the context of what Jesus is implying. Is it because he is being taken from them that day to the crucifixion?
2: Um, I would generally say that that passage has to do with the fact that the Jews are, um, the ones present, are rejecting him, and he's the one their whole religion is ordered around. And so, that's very bad.
1: Father, would you leave us with a blessing?
2: May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever
1: amen amen on behalf of our host father brian mullady our producer michael mccall our call screener matt gubensky and our social media maven mr jeff burson i'm jack williams thanks so much for tuning in to another ewtn open line thursday back at it tomorrow with our very own vice president of theology mr colin donovan until we get together then god bless